What's up? It's episode 17, Pain Points of Wealth, and markets continue to march higher. In fact, we had one of the best months on record in November with the Dow Jones Industrial Average, S&P 500, NASDAQ, all up over 10%. In fact, for the Dow, it was its best month since 1987. And speaking of big numbers, Tesla, valued at over $537 billion, as much as Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's company, is the largest company ever to enter the S&P 500, becoming the sixth or seventh largest position. And the question becomes, where do you put your money now as the market can continue to go higher with the S&P stuffed like a pinata with these mega cap companies? Can this sustain through the new year? Well, we're going to break it down for you today. We got a great episode. Let's check it out. I think you're going to dig this pain points of wealth. Welcome to the pain points of wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing and sustaining your wealth giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey, Ryan, you know what? You want to know where we put your money? Well, if you're just going to go out and keep buying the S&P 500 index, it looks like you're putting it in Tesla. So, you know, you want to buy overvalued stocks, that sounds like the way to go. But I think the big surprise on Wall Street, because some of these folks don't listen to our podcast, was the huge move we saw in what are called small cap stocks, the Russell 2000 index, which went up way beyond the Dow, the S&P, and Tesla. It went up 20% in November, and something that we've been talking about for weeks, especially because of earnings outlooks. That's right, because small caps were just going to blow earnings out next year. And it's not even a secret. It's been hiding in plain view. Like you said, Bob, we talked about it on this podcast. And man, oh man, can you imagine 20% in one month? I mean, that's like two years worth of return in one month's time. One of the reasons, Chris, why we always talk about like you just can't time the market. Who could have predicted with the election coming up at the beginning of the month, with all the uncertainty with the pandemic, that just like that, you'd see stocks go up between 10 and 20%. You just can't predict those things ahead of time. No, right. You're right. You can't predict things. And I can't tell you how many times I get the phone call from my clients saying, you know, Chris, how's my portfolio doing against the S&P 500? And, you know, guys, I really look at the S&P 500 as kind of like the golden calf reference in biblical times. You know, people worship the golden calf in my mind. That's like the S&P 500. You know, they think it's going to give them all these great things. But at the end of the day, one, it's not diversified. You know, it's 500 stocks and people think that's diversification. Well, diversification is owning something like the magnitude of 10 to 15,000 different companies like we do in our model portfolio, which includes, right to your point, the small caps and everything else that's really starting to come up now. You know, Chris, it sounds like to me, you're claiming that the S&P 500 has bad breath. And in order to have a successful investing experience going forward, you need a portfolio with deeper breath, with broader breath. In other words, you just can't have a handful of stocks driving your performance. You've really got to spread it around. Well, that's the thing because we talk about 500 stocks, but again, five stocks are almost 25% of the index, your big mega cap companies, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft. And now you just jam in there, Tesla, which trades at 140 years worth of profits today. And believe me, I think electric vehicles are really cool. I think you know people are going to embrace them. But come on, guys. Come on. Let's be real here. If you go to all the economies around the world, no one's driving around in electric vehicles. 
we're still using good old fossil fuels, and that trend isn't going away anytime soon. Yeah, plus you've got about uh, 131 companies in China working on electric vehicles, so it's going to be a lot of competition. But you know, I think what's happening now, since we've had this gigantic rally since the election, is that individual investors are finally jumping on board, and we had 31 billion pumped into stock funds in the past week, on top of the 49 billion the week before. But again, we're talking billion. There's still trillions of dollars sitting in cash. I think the melt-up is going to continue. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. This year, I've done probably in the magnitude of over 100 reviews with clients, and everybody is the same across the board. Everybody has like a ton of cash, and they've spent anywhere from 50 to 60% less this year than they have in previous years. And I'll tell you what, I've been encouraging everybody to get invested, and I really think we're going to see a big melt-up when people finally get smart and start to put money back into the market. Yeah, because I have this feeling that if you've been sitting in cash, you missed this move and you're trying to figure out what to do, you're hoping for a pullback, which bull markets, Bob, as you like to say, and they never let you in. Well, you're probably not going to get that magnificent pullback or sell-off in stocks that you've been waiting for. Meanwhile, and again, this is why you don't just own the S&P 500, guys, the global economy is opening up. You know, you start looking at those manufacturing numbers over in places like China and Germany, I mean, they're just looking like phenomenal moving forward, voting really, really well, not only for the US, but man, you got to have the global economy here. I mean, 85% of all economic activity is outside the good old US of A. You know, most of the comments I'm getting from just my general conversations with friends, family, and clients is that, Bob, news is still really bad. I mean, we got the second wave of COVID. You know, a lot of people are getting sick. The hospitalizations have gone up. There's more cases every day. But what you have to really recognize is that the market is looking forward. So think about what's life going to be like six months to a year from now when you have not just your family or your neighborhood, but think about every neighborhood in the world has been sitting at home on Zoom, watching Netflix, saving money, and they're just getting ready to burst out, you know, to consume, to travel, to go out, to go to dinners, to go out to restaurants, to go to movies again. It's all going to happen at once. And that's what's the brilliance of the stock market. It's looking at that right now and acting as if it's already happened. Yeah. The only people that didn't realize that this was going to happen was Wall Street. <laughs> I mean, going back to Tesla again, because I just love talking about this stock because it's what everyone wants to talk about. And Chris told me that the new diversified portfolio is you own Tesla, Bitcoin. And if you really want to diversify, you add NEO, the Chinese electric vehicle company, into your portfolio. But you know, every analyst on Wall Street, like 80% didn't like the stock back in March. Now the stock's gone up, guys, over 600%. Well, more like 35% of analysts now say it's a buy here. Like, Why do they always get it wrong? Why can't they ever figure this stuff out ahead of time? Brian, as you often say, stock analysts on Wall Street make fortune tellers look good. Hey, look, let's face it. The stock market, any market, the world markets, the most humbling place in the universe. There are smarter men than us, smarter people than the analysts who are you know, trying to figure it out, trying to gain something that can't be gained, something that can't be predicted because it's too complex. And lesser men than economists have tried to beat or predict what's unpredictable and what's unknowable. The only real winners are long-term investors with patience and fortitude and a plan. All right, it's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And if you dig our content, you like our content, do us a favor. Please subscribe. Don't just listen. We're trying to get the good word 
out there, pain points of wealth to the world. So please subscribe to our podcast. And guys, the end of the year is quickly descending upon us. Can't believe it's actually December. I thought we could discuss some of the financial issues we're addressing for our firm's clients, over 2,000 families, before the end of the year. Hey, Rye, that's the best point. Oh my God, is this year going fast? Not that anybody's going to be unhappy to see 2020 in the books. 2021 can't come too soon. But make sure you don't pay more in taxes than necessary. There's a lot of smart moves you can make right now, Chris. That's absolutely true, Dad. Like this year, for those of us that are over 72, you don't have to take a required minimum distribution. So there's a good opportunity there to do things like Roth conversions, where you're taking money out of an IRA and you're putting it into a Roth IRA, where it's going to grow tax-free for life. And you know, one of the questions I get from my clients is like, well, am I too old to do a Roth conversion? Is it going to benefit me in my lifetime? Well, it may not. But one of the things that you got to look at too is estate planning. You know, When you pass IRA money onto your heirs now, that money has to be distributed over a 10-year period, which could potentially put your heirs into a pretty challenging tax situation. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like this year is the tale of two markets, right? You have like a lot of my clients, I have a lot of generation Xers out there. Either their business killed it this year, and if they killed it, we're looking at some sort of retirement plan. That's not too late to do that. Like, how can you defer some income? You definitely want to look at that right now. But then you may have the flip side where your business just slowed down. Maybe it was you know, COVID-related where you couldn't have the same kind of numbers you typically would put up for your business because the business just wasn't there. If you're in the travel industry, if you're in some sort of retail. And to your point, Chris, it might be a good year if you're in a low tax bracket, take some of your money that's in a retirement plan, pay the taxes on it now because you might be in a low tax bracket this year, and then you have tax-free money for life. I don't know about you guys. I like tax-free money for life. I think that's a big benefit that people miss the boat on is that Roth conversion, something everyone should investigate every single year. But you know, there's other things that you can do now. It's not just you know, saving on taxes. You'd have to be certain that you've made all of your contributions for retirement. You know, some of you may be self-employed this year because you were working for someone else, you've got furloughed and you created some income, you know, doing something in your hobby or something you like to do. You can shelter a lot of that money with profit sharing, pension plans, you know, UniCase. There's a lot of planning that still needs to be done, even though the year end is quickly approaching. Yeah, the other big move you can make this year, if you haven't already, is tax loss swaps. Anywhere where you have losses in your portfolio, swap them for something else. You can use those losses. You have flexibility. You can deduct 3000 this year against ordinary income, any big gains you have in the future. And you know, there's a lot of people out there that believe that our capital gains rates are going to go up in the future. So why not have some losses that you can offset some of those gains later on by doing some tax swaps this year? And I feel like it's such a simple thing. But I found with a lot of families that come into our firm, guys, like that point gets missed. They're not getting that advice. So look for losses on your portfolio. Grab them now. It doesn't mean you have to be out of the market. You can reinvest into something else. And you know, as one of our favorite accountants says, give unto Caesar that of which is Caesar's, but don't give many of yours. And another great opportunity is to make charitable contributions. So the CARES Act this year allows you to make a tax deductible $300 cash contribution to any public charity without itemizing. That means if you take a standard deduction, when you file your 2020 return, you can also deduct $300 from your adjusted gross income for a bit of a tax break. I like that. It's just good karma, right? If everyone did that 300 bucks, you know, think about all the charities this year that probably aren't getting the kind of funding they typically do because of COVID. Like, what a nice little thing to make sure. You know, do that 300 bucks. Like, it's good for the soul. You know, guys, I'll tell you what, they're two of the best points you've made today. Number one, and when you look at what's happening in the overall economy, not everybody skated through this thing unscathed. A lot of people lost their job, lost their business, 
lost loved ones. There's no better time to think about being charitable than at the end of 2020. And then the other thing when it comes to losses, it's really counterintuitive. So think about when you were growing up, your grandparents, your parents always taught you to save money. You started with a piggy bank, right? Put money in the bank. It's a savings concept that is drilled into us as children and hopefully carries through your whole lifetime. Well, I want to introduce a different concept, the same concept we've been talking about today. Put money in the loss bank. If you have a loss in an asset, sell it, You know, swap it so you don't lose your market position, but you have that tax loss that you can use against gains and ordinary income. And unlike the IRS, it's very generous with losses. It lets you carry them forward forever until you use them up. Another thing to consider, Bob, and this is specifically directed at you, you know, right now, our tax exemption that you can pass on to the next generation is $11.58 million. A lot of experts think that's going to go away or it's going to go down, reduce significantly. So any gifting you want to do, hint, Bob, and get some money out of your estate, maybe because you love your kids and maybe you love your oldest son more than your younger son, it's a great year to take advantage of that, especially if we think that that exemption is going to be less later. If you have money to get out of your estate, this is a great time to do that. Yeah, that actually, I think if you give money to Ryan, you get kind of a doubler there. You get the estate exemption, but you also get the charitable case deduction. So there you go, two for one. Hey guys, if you're thinking that you know with an estate tax exemption of eleven point five eight million, now that's per person, right? So that's eleven point five eight for me, eleven point five eight for mom. If you think my estate's anywhere near that big, boy, have I got some real estate I want to sell you down in Florida. Uh, secondly. When it comes to estate planning, you know, and I think every child and grandchild should pay close attention to this. Only one of my children came to see me for Thanksgiving, and it wasn't you, Rye, and it wasn't your sister. So, in terms of estate planning, Chris is the only one's in the picture at this point. Well played, Chris. Well played. What can I tell you? You've always been the more ambitious brother. No competition in this family, pal. Yeah, but look, I think the bottom line here is, and we say this all the time at nauseum, but money saved in taxes is just as green as any money can make invested. So you've got to take those pro moves and just look at where in your portfolio can you optimize for taxes. And end of the year is always one of the best places to look at that and just start looking at where in your portfolio you can do those tax losses. You can maybe set up that retirement plan where you can put money away pre-tax and look at things like Roth conversions, where you can convert some of your retirement accounts tax-free. All the things you should be thinking about right now, that's the pain way. That's the pro way. Get on those tax strategies. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 saved and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right track to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Bob, gold has historically been the preferred way to hedge against inflation and the value of gold still dwarfs Bitcoin. 
with above ground gold reserves worth more than 10 trillion to Bitcoin's 320 billion. Well, Ry, I tried to buy gas the other day with my Bitcoin and they wouldn't take it. So I'm not exactly sure what you do with Bitcoin once you have it. But gold, Bitcoin, they really aren't great inflation hedges. The best inflation hedge in history has been good old equities, stocks that pay dividends because dividends are increased and that increases the value of your investment against the cost of living. And we're not talking about Tesla here, Bob, for the record. We're talking about diversified portfolio of stocks that pay dividends. Dividends are the key. All right, Chris. Yahoo's market capitalization peaked less than a month after it was added to the S&P 500 in December of 1999, just before the burst of the dot-com bubble. Quest Communications' market cap peaked the same day it was added to the index in July of 2000. Neither of those stocks trade today. Well, it just goes to show you, right, just because a stock is part of an index doesn't mean that's guaranteed to perform well and be a good company in the long term. And you know, furthermore, we made this comment last week, companies leaving indexes actually tend to perform better after they've left the index rather than when they've gone in. Yeah. Funny you said that. Exxon was taken out of the Dow earlier this summer. And of course, the stock has gone up since. So go figure. Might be time to buy oil short Tesla. Who knows? Bob, since 2008, Gallup polls found stock ownership has decreased among Americans overall. Between 2001 and 2008, 62% of US adults said they owned stock on average. As of June 2020, only 55% of Americans said they still own stock. And that's just a surprising statistic, right? When you think about how much the stock market's gone up over that last 20, 30 years, but there's been a lot of volatility. We had a 50% drop in 2000. We had a 50% drop in 2008. We had a 35% drop earlier this year. But what most investors fail to recognize is that the Dow goes relentlessly higher. The market started at 5,000 back in 2008. We're at 30,000 now. So it's almost like a Bronco. You try to ride that Bronco, only a long-term investor with a solid financial plan knows how to handle that volatility. And boy, do you benefit. Hopefully, the rest of the US is going to catch on. Yeah, I only wonder with all these Generation Zers getting into the market, how many more people are going to participate, which bodes very well for stock prices over the next couple of years. So Chris, about half of millennials are invested in the stock market, roughly the same ratio as members of Generation X when they are the same age. The difference is that the value of millennial holdings is nearly a third lower than their Gen X counterparts at the same age. Well, there's a couple of reasons that may be. One, millennials are actually holding a lot more student loan debt than their previous generation. And also, they're actually making less money, which is making it harder for them to pay off those loans and put money away. And I also suspect that they weren't embracing stocks the same way my generation was and missed a lot of that great move the last decade. So, Bob, the top 1% of households were worth $27.9 trillion earlier this year, up from about $11 trillion when the stock market bottomed back in 2009. But for the bottom 20% household wealth, it rose only from $2.3 trillion to just $3.5 trillion over the same time period. Yeah, right. We see that big spread in income inequality, but also investment inequality. If you have money to invest and you're in a big booming bull market in real estate and stocks and bonds, you can only benefit if you're in. You got to be in it to win it. But you know, as my dad used to tell me, you know, for someone who isn't a sophisticated investor, as he used to say, the blue collar worker, the stock market is the great equalizer. 
Yeah. And I just imagine from an education perspective, if more people understood the benefits of investing in stocks, because it's cheap and liquid, I imagine that number would have gone up a lot more just making better investment decisions. The world needs to get more educated on how the markets work. Chris, another sign of a yield desperation, the government of Peru was able to issue a 100-year bond with a measly yield of 3.3%. I'll tell you what, guys, I've been to Peru before, and it is an absolutely gorgeous country. Although, based on the credit ratings of double B, in some cases less, not even investment grade, I don't think I'm going to be putting any money into Peru anytime soon. <laughs> and thinking I can get on AT&T stock 7%, would I really want to lend the government of Peru for 100 years at 3.3%? That just sounds insane to me. Come on, Ryan, they're dependent on you. That's scary if it's true, Chris. Bob, leveraged and inverse ETFs, exchange-traded funds, have raked in $16.3 billion through the first 10 months of this year on pace to top 2008's record of $16.7 billion. You know, Rod, there's nothing like excess in a bull market. When people are making money, when investors are making money, they always think back, well, you know, this is really good, but what if I had three times as much money in, you know, I would have made so much more on that return that I just had over the last 12 days or 30 days or 60 days. You know, speculation's alive and well and never goes away. I'll tell you what, leverage kills. And if you're betting against the bull market, that's even deadlier. So it doesn't surprise me. Speculators are always there and every bull market gets sheared because eventually they're going to be wrong and they're going to be in the worst position in terms of leverage when it happens. And I've tried some of those triple leveraged ETFs or exchange traded funds. They're more like weapons of mass destruction. And I've seen some of those go to zero, maybe in my own personal situation, but we won't get into that today. I still need therapy because of that. All right, guys, listen, a great show. And please, if you like our content, you enjoy our content, do us a favor, click on that like button or slam on that like button and leave a comment, anything you want to hear from us in terms of content, things to discuss. We'd love to hear your feedback. Another great episode. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.